Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman & Associates. Now here's Connie. Hi, I'm Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on webtalkradio.net. I'm so glad you're able to join me this week. My motivational quote today is by Jan Martel from Life of Pi, and the quote says, I challenge anyone to understand Islam, its spirit, and not to love it. It is a beautiful religion of brotherhood and devotion. When you hear about the Islam religion, do you immediately associate that with negative thoughts or bad images? And does this association come from knowledge about the faith, or does it stem from fear? If Islam equates to these negative thoughts or images that we, we kind of create in our head, then shouldn't we associate most, relig most religions with those same bad thoughts of war, terror, etc.? Over the centuries, wars have been fought because of righteous of the, of the folks who are very righteous, and, and they'll say things like, in the name of God or in the name of their religion. So why is Islam so different from other religions? Is it, in fact, different at all? Well, today my guest, David Lowe, is going to help us understand Islam and how it relates to Christianity, Judaism, and other Western religions. This clarification may provide a clearer picture that people cause wars, not religions. David holds a Ph.D. in Religious Studies and was an adjunct professor at Rutgers Campton, Rowan, and LaSalle <coughs> excuse me, University. He has an M.S. in Community Counseling and has worked as a substance abuse counselor for over seven years. He currently does dream work and maintains a small counseling practice. And David's first book recently came out, Universal Spiritual Philosophy and Practice. And he's working on his second book, um, which is soon to come out. So please help me welcome David. So David, thank you again for being on the show. Great, Connie. It's always wonderful to be here. Thanks again. Wow. Yeah, you always uh, teach me something new. I truly am a novice on you know, really the, the detail of religion and your uh, religious uh, studies background and, and philosophical background uh, definitely challenge my thoughts and perspectives. So I always, I always embrace that, Dave, because I think people need to challenge their perspectives. Whether you agree, disagree, doesn't matter. It's just challenging how we see things. So I'm glad you were willing to be on the show again. I think, Dave, this is your second time, right, on the show? Second or third, yeah. Second or third. Yes, yeah, see, I, you just can't get rid of me. <laughs> so now, Islam, it's, it's right. um, great and profound as any faith, but it also first has all, more... Yeah. Well, go ahead. First of all, first of all, first of all, uh, it's, Islam is a noun. So it's when you say uh, the Islam religion is not is is an incorrect way of saying it. Islamic oh. religion, Islamic Islam. religion, not Thank Islam you. religion. Go ahead with your question. Sorry. Got it. So Islam is a great profound as any faith, but it also has more unfortunate baggage, which I kind of alluded to in my um, uh, intro. So. Islam is a world religion with over a billion people following it, right? You told me that. In general terms, what are its teachings, and do they differ from those of the other Western religions, Christianity, Judaism, etc.? Et right. Um, no, not really. I mean, there's lots of cultural and historical differences, lots of differences in the way things are said, but no real difference underneath. 
it's all about you know love, joy, tolerance, compassion, environmental stewardship, and um, just getting closer to God. That's the underlying profound truth of all three Western religions. Mm. The main problem, of course, is the fundamentalists. Um, the more you interpret scriptures literally, the more violent and inappropriate the teachings become for all three of them. Um, each of these faiths, more positively, does have their own sort of special focus. Uh, for Islam, I think that, that would be brotherhood um, and uh, hospitality. Muhammad's revelation was meant for all mankind. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, why, if their big theme is brotherhood and hospitality and love, joy, tolerance and getting closer to God, why is there so much terrorism associated with the Islamic faith? Well, that's a huge question. It is. We can, you know, we, we can start off by saying there's five categories of reasons. We'll hopefully get an, 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 an overview of all of them. Okay. Some of those things are, are more risky to talk about than others, but I think with um, your listenership, I don't think we need to worry too much about it, as long as we have integrity and do our best to uh, stick to objective truth. Yeah. So there are ancient reasons, medieval reasons, and modern reasons. The older they get, the more important they are. <laughs> you know, the, Why the more that? intractable they become. The oldest reasons are intractable. The less profound reasons are better and more easily fixed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the oldest, the oldest of the reasons would be um, well, what I call problematic scriptural language. That's how you could best summarize it. Um, Judaism and Christianity grew up or were influenced by political authority, under political authority. You, you, you may not have liked the rules of you know, the Roman Empire and so forth, you know, but, but, you knew what, but you knew what would happen if you didn't obey them. So when you were dealing with governors and emperors and your generals and so forth, you were expected to be literate and to have manners and to have some kind of decorum. In ancient Arabia, there was none of that. Okay, so it was just, it was the whole area was inhabited by a shifting patchwork of tribes who fought each other for, 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 for money, for women, for camels, and so forth. And uh, basically, a region of bandits. So the Quran was written or was spoken to address a very low level of ethical sensibility. Okay, so for example, there's one term in there scattered throughout the book which translates as slave girl, kind of. Because, you know, when, when, um, when you conquered your neighboring tribe, the custom pretty much was, was to, you know, kill all the men and, and enslave the women and children. That's how things were done, you know. So, so anyway, subconsciously, when it comes to the, the you know, the, the old hardliners from the old world without much education, terms like that, I think, continue to subconsciously influence Muslims' behavior. And so they treat their woman not that well. Hmm. So this is an example of one of those profound underlying things which would continue to affect the whole situation, even if a lot of modern things were straightened out. So, so yeah. the negative, the negative thoughts from those that terminology is because of the barbaric behavior of the lower level people, at right? The time, from, at the, at the time, time, right? Seventh century Arabia, you know. Yeah. One of the great paradoxes of the Quran is that it is no doubt it has tremendous, fabulous divinity associated with it. I benefited from listening to, um, to the Quran being recited, but at the same mm -hmm. time, it. It is a culturally influenced document. 
which is a whole other profound thing. Go ahead. You have another. So this is so that, well. My next question was so since this has been around for centuries and the terminology, the translation, and how it's still being interpreted to some extent. You know, what do you do about that? How do you change a culture that's so deeply rooted? Well, it's a long, slow process. I mean, barring some miraculous enlightenment, you're talking generations, centuries maybe. The people in these areas need a whole new level of education and awareness. I mean, for scholars in Islam who are mostly liberal thinking, well-educated, there's a whole developed philosophy around well, the Quranic exegesis or interpretation, which you know, in some cases the literal meaning is completely irrelevant. Um, most of, most of the stuff in, in the book is fabulous. The great majority of, of what's written in, in the Quran is wonderful stuff. But there are some pro- problematic things here and there which fall into different categories. And it's meant to be recited more than read. So, again, for a lot of these Muslim scholars, as far as they're concerned, nobody should even be allowed to read it without a master's degree in Arabic literature. So the whole situation is very difficult. So recited as if, like, telling a story you're saying so yeah, that they well, can you know, translate you, it better? Well, no, no. You, you, you go to a good Muslim gathering at some of these conventions, and you hear these reciters. They're called hanifs. They've memorized the whole thing. Huh. Um, you know, mel- melodically repeating the poetry in wonderful melodies. It's very powerful and mysterious experience. Muslims from all over the world, all cultures, all languages, they don't know any Arabic, you know, but they tune into that Quran being recited. Very deep and profound spirituality, uniting everybody. I felt it. So there is a profound mystery to this book. Um, and, you know, it, it, the, the Quran is more important to Muslims than other scriptures are to the other religions. Yeah, it, there's a lot to say about the Quran. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting document. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, there's a lot of real issues with the interpretation of the Quran, right? Yeah, I mean, what you got is for um, for Orthodox Muslims, uh, the Quran is is like the Word of God only, the blueprint of the universe. Period. Okay. Other Muslims and virtually all mainstream scholars, it's not just the Word of God, it also reflects Muhammad's cultural influences as a human being. So, you know, a paradoxical key is both. And there's a whole, again, there's that whole developed science of often very non, non-literal interpretation. The book itself is very random, disorganized, extremely repetitive. There's no logical sequence of material. It's basically unreadable um, for you know most most non-Muslim except um, 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 except for folks like me who really want to understand it. But the the book is said to have um, an inner logic. There's a profound experience of powerful mystical truth in understanding, especially in, in reciting it and um, hearing it recited. Yeah, it's a very interesting book. So all these people who quote the Quran and, and um, again, you know, I, I'm thinking from a point of view of the terrorism and, and right. all of those pieces, their interpretation, if I'm hearing you correctly, is kind of inaccurate because of the complexity and how it's written. And unless you have a high level of education to be able to interpret this properly, you're saying that's where some of the disconnect is coming from? 
Yeah, yeah. What you're looking at, the main thing that I get my students to understand, what I tell my students about religion is if you only had 10 minutes to to, 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 to study religion in your whole life, the most important thing to realize is that there are different basic ways of interpreting Scripture. There's the literal, which causes all the worst arguments because it's so inflexible. There's the mystical, in which you see everything is the same, and um, everything's just a story. One religion is as good as the next. And for most people, fall within the 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 metaphorical, allegorical degrees of interpretation, in which some is taken literally and some is taken metaphorically um, and allegorically. The less educated a population is, and the Muslim world is often not that well educated, the more yeah. literal the interpretation will tend to be. So, um, yeah, that that's you know the big difficulty, and it's basically I think it's sort of a a, a um, developmental thing. You know, when you were teenagers, well, when we were young kids or teenagers, we all wanted to be in a special group, right? A clique. And I think for a lot of adults, um, they never grow out of that. It it, it just becomes a more deeply buried aspect psychologically. So, and so inside you're kind of thinking like a kid wanting to belong to a special group who's better than all the others. And it takes a lot of evolution for some folks to, you know, grow out of that. And there's also a there's whole um, ed- educational piece connected with that around, around Western democracy. Um, one of the major problems is uh, to, well, the whole, an, another big issue, another big cause of this whole situation is their attrition of, uh, of political rule. Okay, for a lot of reasons we can't go into, like Christianity never developed a tradition of of a political rule. The popes and holy Roman emperors were never more than influential. And Judaism, they, they had this little place called Israel because they're just a tribe and so forth. Another thing we can't go into. But Islam, oh my God, it, it expanded into the second biggest empire in the world at one point, right? Um, and you're talking for like the next, well, 1,200 years, on and off, there, uh, there were some interruptions with the Mongols and, and with the Crusades and so forth. But for the most part, for the next 1,200 years, you're talking India, Pakistan, Middle East, North Africa, Central, Southern Europe, ruled by Islamic empires, you know, uh, sometimes very well ruled, very compassionate and so forth, often not, but sometimes they were really good setups. And so, you know, the hardliners, because of that history of rule for centuries and centuries in these places, you know, the, the notion that Islam can exist side by side, connect with other, with other religions in um, a democracy, is something which modern educated Muslims, there's no problem with that. But for the hardliners from the old world, you know, Islam proper cannot exist unless it has political rule as well as demographic dominance which, of course, causes all kinds of you know, in, um, you know, subversive terrorist activity because they think they should be in charge. So, so really, it's I'm just this... quite a bit. Go ahead. No, I Go just, ahead. I'm really listening because this is truly a topic that I am a novice at. So I'm, I'm writing notes here so that I make sure that I'm interpreting what you're saying in, in the proper way. But I, if I heard that correctly, because the Islamic faith was so connected with political ruling for so long that the association 
of of rule, right? Of of, of having control. Um, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. That that's where that terrorist association has come from because of that that deep sense of ruling and controlling. Did, did I yeah. did I understand that correctly? Yeah, I mean, for centuries and centuries, good empires politically ruled these places across entire yeah. states and nations. I mean, yeah. not just I mean, not just four or five hundred, not just eight or nine hundred mile empires. This is huge empires, you know. And um, so, because of that, this great tradition of political rule came into being. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that there are statements in the Quran and in the Bible implying that you know Islam just spread all over the world. And Motivated not so much by that, but also later on by that very successful history of political rule in so many parts of the world for so long, that becomes part of the tradition. And so the hardliners, the, the, the literalists who take it, who want to have everything historically the way it used to be, mm. uh, the, the notion that Islam should be one religion amongst many, a democracy, makes no sense whatsoever to these guys. Interesting. Interesting. And so, you know, it, it, it can't properly exist unless it has political rule as well as demographic dominance in any one area. Four fundamentalist hardliners from the old world. Not and there and there kind of lies the problem, right? Is that am right, I understanding exactly. that? To, yeah, exactly. there kind of lies the problem that the two have to meet instead of one being religious and one being just political rule. Let Let's take a quick break, Dave. Um, when we come back, um, I want to talk about the Islamic scripture, which says that it should spread over the whole world, <laughs> which is kind of what you just alluded to. And There's I'm just only about three or four passages like that in the whole book, but yeah, it says that. Sure. Yeah. So let's. But, but three or four passages, and yet <laughs> they do think it should take over the whole world. So let's uh, let's talk about that after a quick break, okay? Okay, great. Cool. cool. All right. A speaker has little value to an audience unless you, the listener, is motivated and empowered to change. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates is a renowned speaker and is an architect of change. Consultations, training, seminars, and speaking engagements are the venues where she affects change. Whether your responsibilities include customer service, sales, marketing, training, executive management, or ownership, and you are seeking change in your organization, then you need to hire Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Connie doesn't just fill your ears with rhetoric. She speaks to the heart and success of your business. So next time you need to hire a speaker, don't hire someone that just talks. Hire an architect of change, Connie Whitman. Just ask for Connie by calling 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Okay, we are back. We are speaking with Dave uh, Lowe and his uh, newest book. He's, he's working on another one, but his newest book, Universal Spiritual Philosophy and Practice. And we're talking specifically today about the Islamic uh, scripture and the Islamic faith. I said that correctly, right, Dave? Right, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so um, is there anything in the scripture, you said before break, that there's really only a few passages which says that it should spread all over the world, and yet that's one of the, I, I think, one of the biggest interpretations that we see current day, correct? Yeah, well, it's a whole marvelous, huge book, but out of the whole thing of marvelous things in there, there are like two or three lines that basically imply that it should go everywhere, you know. And the Bible says that, too, in, for, for um, Christianity. So, you know, it's like the people go by that idea, and there are these 
Now, there developed a great tradition of, you know, theocratic rule, which caliphates were run and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and very, very successful expansion. So, yeah, this, this idea that it should go everywhere. And also, you know, one thing, more basically than that, all the, all the Western religions are inherently exclusivistic for the old, for, for, you know, the fundamentalist. By, by exclusivistic, I mean, you know, we have the one true faith, my way or the highway. Um, and I think that's basically an incorrect notion. I do think that we're all the same underneath, but if you're taught otherwise, then you develop this profound insecurity, right? So, um, and in order to keep convincing yourself that you're right about that, you'll go out and you'll force it on other people. But let me ask you a question. Don't all that, religions that, I mean, feel... This is very important. That is the whole history of Western religion right there, Christianity and Islam. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That, that was basically it. But doesn't every religion feel like their religion is the right religion and that, you know, Christianity is the, the right way or Catholicism is the, the right path or Judaism is the right path? Doesn't everybody feel that their religion is the right religion? Okay, so first of all, Catholicism is you know the biggest branch of Christianity, right? right. You know that. Okay. Yes, of course, I'm um, Catholic. Yes, but well, um, <laughs> the Eastern faiths are much better in that regard. That they they are um, inherently more tolerant because they never got into this idea of the one singular masculine big bossy god and nothing else. They're not mm-hmm. like that. There are small sects in Hinduism, Buddhism, which have been just as intolerant as anything in the Western religions, but they're mm-hmm. very small. They're very small. It's mainly a problem connected with um, um, the Western religions. Yes, absolutely. And again, it's this notion that you have something that nobody else has, just like right. we thought of as teenagers or small children, right. and that therefore other people are wrong. And again, because I think we're all the same underneath, because you, you, I think people develop this profound insecurity when they're taught this notion that they're the one and only. So to keep convincing yourself of that, you force it on other people. Mm. That's the whole, that, that's, that's all of Western religious warfare in, in a nutshell, I think. But, and, and isn't it interesting because aren't most of the religious documentation actually written by humans? So it, it's their perspective as well of what they, what they viewed, what they perceived, what they experienced, and they're logging or writing down the story of the, of their experience using their filter. So, you know, to think that, I guess I'm, I'm more open-minded because I, I, even though I was raised a Catholic, I don't know that um, the Catholics have it all right either. Do you know what I'm saying? So I, I, yeah, so I think that it's written by man, by humans, all religions, right? Isn't that correct? Isn't that how it's been document, documented well, over the absolutely. ages? Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 I mean the, there were some people who, who often did channel straight divinity. There's no question that Muhammad, he was very specific about what was go, going to go in the Quran and what wasn't. He went mm-hmm. into a kind of a trance whenever he did his revelations. He said, okay, get out your pens and paper. Listen to me now. And don't, don't, uh, no, don't include that, but include this. It's coming on. I can feel it coming <laughs> on. And then he would go into the trance and um, uh, um, he would just say this stuff and, and um, they would write it down. Hmm. So I mean, there were occasions in Islam and other faiths in which, in which the writers or the, the, or it's the originators did speak from a kind of divine trance. Hmm. But for the most part, it's a mixture of both divine influence and 
human artifice. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The human storytelling, right? They're, again, their perspective. Now, what's the main Muslim beliefs which are different from, let's say, Christianity, and what are the problems that result from that? Okay. So, <coughs> Excuse me. So, so, okay, so the Jews got their covenant with God on Mount Sinai, 1700 BCE. Okay. Then Christianity comes along about 1,300 years later, and then there's the Jesus event, the new covenant superseding the old Jewish, but also embracing it, okay? And then Islam comes along about seven, six centuries later, and, there's, and, there, is the, and there is Muhammad's revelation, which is like a third covenant, superseding both Christianity and Judaism, but also embracing them. Okay, so basically it's this idea of this ongoing dialogue between God and man over the course of the centuries. And in, in Arabia at the time of, of uh, Muhammad's revelation, it is thought that enough people were able to listen so that the final revelation was given. Final, complete, and absolute. So he's the seal of the prophets, the last of the true prophets. And a lot of people um, disagree with that. Uh, another belief, Jesus Christ was only a prophet, obviously. He wasn't crucified. God would never do that to one of his prophets. Um, a major thing, I think, is what I call connected with Abraham's dysfunctional family. This is going back to ancient Jewish times. So at, at God's command, basically Abraham put his mistress Hagar and their son Ishmael out into the desert. Threw them out. Gave them a gallon of water. Said good luck. And Hagar and Ishmael for that reason, are thought of as being out of favor with God. Ishmael eventually wandered into Arabia and is thought in some sense to have been the father of all Muslims. Okay, so by extension, Islam is a second-class religion. And again, this is for the hardline fundamentalists. Most people don't think this today, but the hardline fundamentalists and the major teaching institutions today who tend to go by the hardline fundamentalism because politicians can understand it, do purvey that version. So Islam is a second-class religion for conservative Jews and Christians for that reason. Um, you there? Yeah, I, 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 so I, notice, I can only imagine how... Um, notice something here. We, we yeah. haven't even started talking about the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a, the biggest thing, really, is the competing sacred history situation in in Jerusalem today. There's this big platform called the Temple Mount that the ancient Jews built in Jerusalem, okay, mm -hmm. back in like, back in six, seven hundred BCE. Um, and they built their first temple on it. The Romans destroyed the first temple. They rebuilt it about 700 years later. Uh, their, their great second temple of Solomon. That got destroyed again. Uh, the Rome, uh, I'm sorry, the Babylonians destroyed the first one. The Romans destroyed the second one for all kinds of reasons that we can't go into. And so it's never been rebuilt. So the Jews continue to think today that their great temple of Solomon should be re rebuilt on that temple mount. But of course, Muslims ruled Jerusalem for centuries and centuries, and they built their second most important shrine on the temple mount. Okay, so both Jews, conservative Jews and conservative Muslims both think the other shouldn't be there. They don't know how to share space. Hmm. Like when, when you have your, well, when you invite your friend over at age eight, and he or she can sleep over. Your mother says, you know, make room for your friend. You know, these hardliners can't do that. They're that immature. So, you know... Go it's ahead. amazing. Sorry. No, it's amazing. And, and the thing I think as I'm listening to you, uh, Dave, the, do, do you have a very in-depth 
history backgrounds as well that you know dates and places and names and times um, is that just from your religious studies or are you a historian as well because you, you're detailed no, no 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 my command of history comes from any I mean any any anyone in graduate school who studies uh, religion or anthropology mm-hmm. or even sociology to say nothing of history knows that much that's no big deal. Oh, really? Um, that's, that, yeah, that, no, that, 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 um, that's basically what we would call intellectual heritage level stuff. Um, okay. Um, which, like, you get in colleges. But sure, I mean, religion, I'm, I, I am especially aware of it because of the whole religious situation. So, but anyway, Jews and Muslims both think that the other shouldn't be there and so on. Conservative. Sure, sure. And that is a main, main, major issue with um, the whole is, Israeli-Palestine situation. But again, even even if a treaty were to be made and the two-state solution, Israel-Palestine getting along really well, we don't give it. We even if we didn't give all, even if we didn't give a lot of military aid to Israel anymore, there would still be these underlying difficulties connected with these old things in the scriptures and in uh, in in the ancient traditions. Is there a solution? Is there a solution for today for for to change the perception and perhaps to just change all the war and terrorism that's happening. Is there even an answer? Well, there is. I mean, I love to believe in the idea of like some miraculous enlightenment which will take place, and 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 which wouldn't require generations worth of better education. But that's probably a pie in the sky vision. Yeah. It's going to take some generations, a lot of better infrastructure building, um, a lot of you know. A lot of uh, you know anthropological and sociological influence in you know diplomatic policy and foreign policy and everything. A lot of resources devoted to um, education, to cross-cultural understanding, and so forth. And there will be a slow change connected with you know new levels of education in these cultures. And you know, I mean, the, the difficulty is, and this gets to another issue, um, what I call you know cultural pollution. All these things cross over, right? So, um, your neighbor in in an ancient traditional society in Islam with a little Western influence, your neighbor's got a satellite dish, right? So your kids go over there, your kids who are raised in the traditional faith, and they see Beyonce, you know, three fourths naked dancing up there on the stage, and. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that Muhammad said, he said, you know, toward the end times, just before the Day of Judgment, women singers would be popular. <laughs> so here we are, you know, just before Armageddon. Interesting. So, Interesting. Yeah, so so the, the, these kinds of issues connect with ancient tradition. I mean, you know, we, we can look at these civilizations and say, this is awful the way you treat women and all these terrible customs you have, but they don't see it that way. It's deeply, deeply ingrained into, in, 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 um, in, um, in, into their cultures. Yeah, yeah, and it's in, it's, Dave, I think it's almost in their DNA because, you know, studies have been shown that we have inherent beliefs, our belief system um, comes from generations past, um, and it really does get handed down through the DNA, and there's been a lot of scientific study with mice and all of that, but um, without getting into that, so what what you're really talking about here is kind of um, sad, I think, because it is so deeply rooted, and the answer, the solution for education 
you know, when you have centuries and centuries and thousands of centuries of this type of history and belief system that's so embedded in, in, in the wiring almost. Um, interesting. I, I hope that we have this enlightenment you speak of. <laughs> right, right. You know? Another thing, another thing is, is, is that there are certain old customs which were in these places before Islam got there. You've mm-hmm. heard of that. The female circumcision, confinement to the household, mm-hmm. um, you know, both those things, you know, um, cruel to women and so forth. Um, we're already there, and they become associated with the faith to the point where even the imams, the old imams, from the, they'll say it's part of Islam. It's not. Right. You know, but it becomes associated with it inevitably. Yeah. Perception is reality. Right, and so there, there are actually Jewish and Christian families living in those parts of the world who do the same things. Yeah. Because it was in the culture before their faith got there. It becomes associated with God's law. You know, you know what the bottom so, yeah, line is? a long, is, slow process. Yeah, it's a very long, slow process. And we're out of time, but you know what the bottom line is? Everything that you've said, and, and wow, what an education for me, so I appreciate that. Um, I did not know most of this, okay, just to be honest, but um, I, I think the message for me that that I take away from everything you just said is, I think we just have to be tolerant of each other and, and beliefs, and it's just a different perspective, not right, not wrong, not good, not bad, it's just a different perspective, and I, I think if we all as humans kind of took that path or, or processing that, um, you know, maybe that would help the enlightenment. I'm not really sure. These are just sure. so, so deep-rooted um, emotions and belief systems that it's, it's, a, it's a tough road. It definitely is a tough road that we have yet to uh, continue to find right. the solution. Right, right. Um, and, and, I, and, and one more thing. We didn't yeah. even get to Western foreign policy. Yeah, we I know. We didn't even start talking about Western or the 20th century. Yeah, isn't that isn't that remarkable? Um, I want to give your information so that if anybody, first of all, wants to buy a universal spiritual philosophy and practice your book, go to David's website, which is David Low D A V I D L O W, and then M S. PhD. So Mary Sam PhD.com. So David Lowe, MSPhD.com. Not to worry. I promise I will post the website on Web Talk Radio, the Architect of Change uh, website. Also, if you'd like to email David for, again, more information, please email him at David at worldspirituality.com again share your thoughts ideas debate with him Uh, you can see how well versed he is on this topic also send me your emails stories questions topics um, if I can help you with your business functions uh, email me directly at Connie at WhitmanAssos.com and again I answer the emails directly. I don't have someone doing that for you. Uh, David, thank you again for taking the time to be on the show and educating us just even a little bit more about where a lot of these century-old beliefs come from and how the interpretation is what it is today. So thank you for that and for your insight. Um, Always a huge education for me, so I do appreciate that. I like to expand my perspective and view on things um, and continually educate myself on all different topics. So thank you again for that. Great. Thank you, Connie. I really enjoy the honor of being here on on the show with you. Uh, Take care.
Always my pleasure, Dave. Um, I hope you guys will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together how to grow and challenge ourselves so we all embrace change and realize that we can do this. And this is just another platform for us to help that change process. Um, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a wonderful and inspired week. You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. Time may change me, but I can't trace time.